What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> I'll probably exaggerate. Probably not two or three feet, but that's what it feels well, like. Well, it's, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. much yeah. stretchier. That's what the feeling is. You guys want to go ahead and just get it started? Let's just get into mm-hmm. it, yeah. I'm Chase Wanger, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. I hope everyone's having a, enjoying this wonderful weather. Yeah, oh, my nice. gosh, yeah. Today's guest, Cody Roden. Cody, tell us what you do. All right, yeah. Thanks, guys, for having me on. So I'm the small game program coordinator. So here at Fish and Wildlife, um, the wildlife division is broken up into programs. So we have the private lands program, the public lands program, and then taxa-specific programs like big game, deer and elk, stuff like that. I'm in the small game program. And so small game in Kentucky are defined as rabbit, squirrel, quail, and grouse. And so my program used to have grouse. It doesn't have grouse anymore. And so we focus on rabbits, squirrels, and quail. I got a question for you right off the bat, and then I want to hear what you've been working on lately. Yeah. But So I have a buddy, a good friend of mine, and he's an Ohio State football fan, right? Oh, okay. And I, I said he was a good friend of yours? Yeah, he, well, he, yeah. yeah. He goes way back. Yeah. But so I always wanted, you know, talk a little, you know, smack to him, and I don't really have anything because he's an Ohio State football fan, so it's not like I can tell him that they aren't any good or, yeah. right, you know, something right. like that. So I always just tell him he's a, you know, keep rooting for your tree nuts. Ooh, I tell him yeah, he's a useless tree nut fan. Yeah. You know, your mascot's a tree nut, yeah. and that's the best insult I can come up with. <laughs> I like so, it. <laughs> so are the Buckeyes, are those useless tree nuts? Because I tell him he's a useless tree nut fan. Because it's it's not like he's the acorns. You know, I'd rather be the Al State acorns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Buckeyes. yeah. So you got it. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's a necessarily useless. It's definitely less valuable in our eastern forests and things like acorn trees, oak trees that produce acorns, um, hickory nuts, and beech trees, which we have an abundance of you know, south of Ohio in the state of Kentucky. Yeah. And so in Kentucky, we're really fortunate. We have um, many different species of both red oaks and white oaks and uh, many species of hickories. And, and those combined make really high-quality upland forests that uh, a lot of animals take advantage of, um, those, those nuts. And so things like deer, turkey, uh, black bears, elk, um, you name it, there's a lot of stuff in the forest for them to eat. Oh, I, I want to get into how important trees and especially nut trees are but i kind of don't want to talk i mean the importance of buckeyes trees they're not as important no no so i can tell him that our small game program coordinator said that buckeyes really weren't all that valuable please do yeah okay yeah yeah. no but so what have you been working on lately cody that's what i want to hear about right now yeah yeah and so you know in our in our program our our major emphasis is trying to create and sustain habitat for our focal species, um, as well as monitoring and, and doing surveys and stuff like that. And so uh, coming up in the fall, um, late summer, early fall, we always have a, a mass survey in which we go out and monitor the amount of tree nuts that are being produced by those four big groups that we just mentioned. So hickories, um, beech, red oak, and white oak groups. And so, you know, we're doing that um, right now. Obviously, our one of our focal species is squirrels. Um, but we do that and share that information with the other programs too. Again, things like um, the bear program, yeah. um, deer, you name it. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that eat those. What doesn't eat an acorn? I mean, does anything not eat an acorn? Yeah, it, 
Every, all, a lot of things do. The only things um, that might stay away from it are things that are too small, maybe to consume the nut or break it open, you know, would be the major limiting factor with that. But, again, in Kentucky, you know, our mass-producing trees, we have everything from the shell bark hickory, which has a big, massive nut, all the way down to uh, a pin oak that has, you know, a very, very mm-hmm. small acorn. And those things, you know, ducks I mean, eat teeny, those. I've got one about a huge one in my backyard. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, those They're things teeny. are tiny. Yeah, ducks, grouse, you name it, those things will gobble them up. Blue jays eat them. Yeah, exactly, for they sure. They pick them off the tree. No kidding. Yeah, you'll see them sitting <laughs> there. They, they grab them fresh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that mass crop survey that you just wrapped up, is that what you said? So the it started in on August 15th and goes to September 1. So we're kind of okay. right in the middle of it. So the stuff we'll talk today about um, in the mass survey, it very preliminary data um, for sure. So we're getting that information yeah. back right now. Is that when it's finalized, is it going to be available to the public somewhere? Yes. Yeah, it'll be available on our website um, after September 1st, probably the first week of September. We'll have it um, published and out there for, for people to look at. Um, and then also, you know, a lot of times we talk about the mass survey. It's a great opportunity to talk to sports people or wildlife enthusiasts in general. Um, we do the statewide mass survey. It's one of the biggest and best um, east of the Mississippi, so you can tell your Ohio friend that as well. Um, But it is one of the most comprehensive mass surveys in the east and definitely in Appalachia. But, you know, I I love talking about this and and letting people know if they haven't already, you know, when you're thinking about scouting areas um, for whether it's deer hunting or or fall turkey hunting or anything like that, you know, take a look at the mass. This stuff is highly variable across the state. That's why we have so many routes. We're trying to capture that variability. Um, But in reality, in your neck of the woods, it could be completely different. Um, than what we talk about. But for the most part, regionally, um, within the state, we'll see um, broad trends. Yeah. So something I jotted down, and I'm going to be kind of all over the place because I just randomly have a bunch of thought here, thoughts here, but you were talking about when you're scouting for animals, the importance of masteries. So one thing that I've noticed, and I'm sure a lot of people notice who run trail cameras, is that they might have these deer consistently patterned, like they're seeing these deer every day, every other day. And then all of a sudden the deer is just gone for, you know, two weeks or three weeks. And they might show up once here or there, but it's like, well, what changed these deer's movements, you know? Yeah. And that happened to me recently, and I blamed it on the corn because the corn was knee high, and then we got a lot of rain, and it shot up, Mm -hmm. and now it's five or six feet tall. So I think that is what drew my my deer away from where I was. But I think that understanding those nut trees Mm -hmm. and when and what they're going to drop and where they are can have that exact same effect where you might have deer here and then all of a sudden they just disappear and you don't really know why but it's probably because or it could be because there's a big white oak over there that just dropped that just started dropping and so now those deer focused in on that area so i think that in scouting a property that you're going to hunt not only looking for the deer trails not looking for the sign not just looking for the water but trying to like having an eye up and looking for those certain trees and and being able to tell what they are and then maybe doing some research and figuring out, okay, about when should these drop? And, mm-hmm. and are they going to be a draw early or late? And that can kind of help you predict what the deer are going to do in the future. So looking at the trees is almost like a glimpse into what's going to happen. Exactly. Does that yes. make sense at all? It's yeah, like, no, it mm, totally does. It's like predictive scouting. Exactly. Yeah, no, predictive scouting, I like that term a lot. That's huge because, I mean, you know, we're doing scouting now to hunt in the future anyways. Yeah. So if we can kind of predict those movements, and you're spot on with the movements. So, you know, White-tailed deer have adapted through eons with this very similar uh, masting trees that exist today, right? And mm-hmm. so they know probably better than we better than we do for sure. You know, 
what's going to drop and when it probably is going to drop. This stuff happens cyclically, and based on weather, it depends. It could be a week or two off or something like that. But when the mass drop actually happens, that's pretty consistent through time. And they also know, they probably also know, that um, you know there's different preference for different massing species. At least with whitetails, we know that, um, and probably similarly with other um, nut predators like squirrels and, and yeah. things like that. And so, you know, they'll probably hit the white oaks first. And then they'll probably move. They'll get some hickories and stuff in there. Hickories generally drop a little bit earlier than, than white oaks usually. Um, and so, yeah, definitely look for hickories, white oaks. And then red oaks are kind of a later season um, thing. They might save those to the end. And that has to do with the um, – there's a chemical compound called tannins. Mm -hmm. There's more tannins. I don't know if you guys heard that. There's mm -hmm. more tannins in red oaks. and so it That's makes why they'll choose white oaks first. Exactly. Correct? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like sweeter. It's more digestible um, for these animals. And so – They'll turn to red oaks after those are exhausted. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, the, and that's exactly why you're observing those movements. Um, you know, they're hitting the white oaks first, trying to gobble those up. They'll save the red oaks for last. Um, and oftentimes we have, you know, pockets of those different tree species. Like you were mentioning earlier, definitely be heads up on kind of your general tree ID. You might not need to know exactly the species, but know which broad group it falls into, yeah. whether it's a red oak group, a white oak group, or a hickory group. I think that's some, there's some confusion. And, you know, You've been on the podcast before, Cody, and you said a couple of really interesting things last time. And I don't necessarily want to talk in depth about those same things, but I do think they're worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. And one of those was what you just said about the tannins in the red oaks yes. and how white oaks are preferred early because red oaks have more tannin, and it takes time for those acorns to sit on the ground and for those tannins to leach out exactly. before yeah. they're they're edible. That was one really interesting thing. And the other one that I really remember from the last time we had you on was when you talked about how trees in a certain area will group mm -hmm. up and have failure years like yeah. on purpose right. whereas all the all the oak trees in this section of woods just will all decide at once to not have acorns exactly Beca yeah yeah so i thought those were two of the most interesting things we talked Me about too. i think it's fascinating yeah will you touch on that just real briefly yeah no thanks for bringing that up and so the way these um masting there's kind of two broad spectrums. A bumper crop when, like, I mean, you're looking at branches bending over with so many acorns and hickory nuts on them versus a mass failure where there's, like, virtually none. And so we observe this, or there's, there's several studies that have shown this, at least regionally, there's something called mass synchrony. Mm -hmm. And so, if, if like, if we think about this for a second... It makes total sense, right? I mean, we're kind of giving the trees a lot of the benefit of the doubt here as far as them being able to, you know, figure stuff out and actually do this consciously. But, you know, if you're a tree, if you're an upland hardwood in the eastern United States, you know, like we just mentioned, everything loves eating these acorns, right? And so every now and then, you know, the, these trees historically were definitely major drivers of the number of animals that the system could sustain. So we have more food, we have more animals, right? And so through time, you know, these trees will periodically all not produce any mast. Mm -hmm. And so this, this synchrony will exist based on the group. So the red oak group, whether it's a Schumard oak, a northern red mm -hmm. oak, you know, the red oak, these two species of trees will actually not produce any mast at this, in the same year. Mm -hmm. And so essentially what they're trying to do is, well, again, we're giving them a lot you of credit. You say trying, like they're <laughs> yeah, exactly. conscious, but yeah, so I the, mean, there but is some still, consciousness that's, yeah. there. But. Yeah. but it is a relation to predation on their you know, yeah. their mass that they've dropped. I think yeah, yeah, that's one of the Can theories. they detect, like, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of squirrels are hammering me, so I'm going to take the year off. I mean, is, yeah. you know, that, that 
Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So they drop their mass production, and then these animals, especially animals that reproduce and they're short-lived, um, think of rodent species, um, squirrels, stuff like that, you know, that kind of are are focusing in on reproducing a bunch in one year and, and then having those just for a couple uh, animals that live for a couple years. Um, or even, even whitetail movements. So if, think if it crashes one year, the deer are probably going to blow out of there, right? Mm-hmm. And so... They one year they'll all pretty much not produce any mast, and then that'll draw down the seed and nut predators. And then the next year, that acorn that drops to the forest floor will have a better chance of germinating into another oak tree, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's one school of thought. The other school of thought is that you know they kind of all turn on at once because you know if you have a tree and it has a f- so the acorns need to be built from a, f- a flower, right? So they have to have a fertilized flower, and then the acorn gets germinated from the from the tree. Another school of thought is through time, you know, if you're a single oak tree in the woods and you got flowers all over your crown, all over your leaves and stuff, and nobody else is flowering, these these trees are mainly um, wind pollinated. So wind is blowing the pollen from one tree to the other, fertilizing that flower, that becomes an acorn. And so through time, you know, if you're the single tree, you've put a lot of energy into making this big, beautiful flower, and there's no other trees in the forest that are flowering right then so the other school of thought is they all flower at once and then they all get pollinated by the wind and then they all put on mast at the same point in time so Mm. there's two schools of thought on why the trees sync up one of them is almost like a a conscious school of thought where it would be the mycelium that we talked about oh yes yeah it was one yeah so then that's like basically the the mushroom's just the fruiting body, but the organism itself that the, a mushroom is related to is mycelium, which is basically just big spider web yeah, network in the soil. Yeah, it's a big skeleton, right? And it it's intertwines amazing. into the tree roots, and we're thinking that maybe the trees communicate through that mycelium. Oh, for sure. That's we know happening. that they communicate, but we yeah. don't know if that's how they're syncing up. Mm-hmm. And the other train of thought versus the mycelium would be that it's just pollination. Good year for pollination. It happens. Boom. Huge crop. And then we're all cy- cycled up. Mm-hmm. And we're going from that point forward. Exactly. Have yeah. you seen that um, along those same lines, trees can detect human presence in the forest? Have you heard about this? No, no. And no, they emit, they can emit chemicals to warn other trees that no you know, there's invaders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have mean, you that, heard that? No, I haven't. But it kind of plays more into this, you know. It's, am- it's amazing. Some, some level of awareness, whether it's you're aware that another tree next to you is getting ready to have flowers or that you're aware that, hey, last year I put on a whole bunch of mast. This year, maybe mm-hmm. I shouldn't do that again. Yeah. You know? I think I'll go to the beach instead. Yeah, exactly. I think trees exactly. are fascinating. I'm not going to – I don't know if I'm willing to just, just now say that they're aware mm-hmm. or if there is some – um, what seems like awareness built into their evolution. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, that, I think that's that's accurate, yeah. Because I, mean, I think you kind of have to have at least a, a, some type of like cog, like a brain, you know, yes. or so, something yeah. along those lines to be aware. But mm-hmm. it does seem like that, you know, you, you take a real deep dive into evolution or creation or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what's it called? Uh, something design. Um Intelligent design. Intelligent design, yeah. you know, as, as far as how all this stuff works. But, mm. you know, it seems like there's definitely something to play there when it comes to the trees because the way that they work is, is amazing. And and we talked about it right before we got started. I don't think it's part of the podcast, but the way that trees work with fungus is fascinating it's, to me. It's incredible. Yeah. There's some really good documentaries that you could watch. Uh, Paul Stamens is a guy who does a lot with uh, fungus. He's in the Pacific Northwest Paul Stamens or Stamens. You, I'm not sure, yeah. But he's he's kind of like the fungus guy. And he has a couple documentaries out there that talk about their relationship and the importance of fungus with other species and 
takes a deep dive into plant life and how it was created on earth and if you go back far enough in the evolutionary process i'm pretty sure i'm saying this right after the asteroid hit or whatever you want to say happened Mm -hmm. fungus was the only thing living on land and algae was in the sea right Mm -hmm. so then algae photosynthesized and fungus did not and when they met at the shoreline there and we got fungus intermixing with algae and that over the course of thousands or millions of years they created a photosynthesizing land vascular plant plant. Mm. yeah yeah, and then that is what stemmed all the other plant life and and growth so pretty much you could track everything that you see outside this window that's green back to fungus and algae the unassuming fungi and algae i think it's amazing i think the fungus is so if it say a storm blows down a tree do the other trees in that vicinity detect that they've lost I'm not sure. I mean, there has to be some. I mean, uprooting of the uh, mycorrhizal fungi in the area could totally break that link. I think this article kind of alludes to that. Well, I think that there's a little bit of intelligent design there, too. If a tree falls in the woods, that's a whole thing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if a tree falls in the woods, I think that you see what happens. Let's say it's a tall tree with a tall canopy, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to see all the other trees stretching those branches trying to to fill in that space. that So it's like, you know, I don't know if they know that another tree fell or if they can just sense that, hey, now there's an opening. Now it's more light. And like what we've learned with with red maple, you know, when we artificially create those openings, that red maple get an advantage to try to fill that hole in. And they jump on it quick. Correct? Yeah, oftentimes... Well, oftentimes we have um, too few holes for oak regeneration. And so mm-hmm. the red maple actually can grow really well in shade. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, they so will they definitely take So they the oak a lot. Yeah, yeah. And so they'll sit there and wait. And then when you do, so they'll grow up to like five or six feet. And then they'll sit there and wait until you get a hole in the canopy. And then and they'll then really boom. shoot up. Yeah. And yeah. So they, but they leapfrog the, the slower growing oaks and hickories and yes. more valuable trees. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think maple trees are fairly valuable? I mean, obviously, we, they are included. They're, they're little helicopters is what they... Yeah, the Samaras. Yeah, that's where you see them drop. But when everybody knows them as little helicopters. Yeah, I was going to say, scientific yeah, names, yeah, helicopters. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure. But, I mean, that's, yeah. that's... I played with them when I was little. Yeah. You know, that seems to be what most maples drop mm-hmm. to me. I mean, you got sycamores that drop something a little bit different. and mm-hmm. But, it, I mean, that's not an edible. So, do... For wildlife, do maples have, uh, you know, a real, a real benefit or a draw for wildlife? They do have a benefit um, to wildlife. When we're talking about those big four, the red oak group, white oak group, hickories, and beech, they, there's no comparison. Mm-hmm. But, you know, their seed that comes down in the helicopters are definitely eaten by wildlife for sure. Yeah. Um, Habitat, of course. I mean, squirrels yeah. are probably loving maple yeah, trees. Yeah, structurally, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, they are, you know, in and of themselves, they definitely are they're they have value. Mm-hmm. Um, when compared to our, you know, a real healthy native upland system where you have the, the true oak hickory um, composition, there's no comparison for that, for sure. And that, that question kind of stemmed from something, you know, Kristen, my girlfriend and myself, will go um, look for chicken of the woods or we'll look yeah, for chanterelles yeah. or morels or some of those mushrooms hen of the woods, you know. And when we, we're looking for those mushrooms in the woods, we're looking for specific trees. Mm-hmm. Right. And the maple tree is never a tree that we're looking for. We're looking for oaks. Mm-hmm. We're looking for, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of trees, um, tulip we, poplars. We're looking for elms. We're looking for oaks. But maple seems to be one that when we see maples or a bunch of maples, we're like, you know, let's not. And when I'm deer hunting or, or scouting for deer mm-hmm. or any other wildlife, maple tree is not one that's on my radar that I'm, no, like, man, seeking out. Yeah. And so that's the thing. <clears throat> Something that, you know, as I'm walking through the woods and I'm looking at trees, a lot of times my – 
years ago, I would always have my eyes on the ground and I'd always be looking down. But over the past two or three years, I feel like my eyes have gone up more. Mm -hmm. And now I'm finding that there's more benefit up above me when I'm, when I'm scouting than there really might be on the ground. Mm -hmm. So it just seems like there's certain trees that would be really beneficial for someone who cares about any type of hunting to be able to identify and look for and just general facts like statements about these groups of trees like you're saying white oaks well there might be 10 different species of white oaks right but if you can just identify white oak in general versus red oak in general and you know just one or two key facts about those trees and how they're useful for you then that's going to help you a lot in scouting right oh no doubt yeah and the the differentiating factor between the white oak group and the red oak group any, I'm telling you, anybody could do this, even with no leaves on the tree. You know, looking at bark characteristics, and once you start honing in on this stuff, like you said, you start like casting your eyes up. You know, you can these things become really apparent. It's very easy to tell the difference once mm-hmm. once you start looking. It's like anything else, right? See, for me, it's the leaves. I, I use the leaves. The, yeah, the leaves are. I wish I knew my barks better when the mm-hmm. leaves are gone. Oh, barks are interesting yeah. because barks can be a little bit tricky. Yeah, they're, I think they're real tricky. You, you know, there was a guy, I was watching a video. I was, like, trying to learn how to hunt morels, right? And so I was watching a video. Some guy put it on YouTube, and he was trying to teach you how to identify elm trees. Okay. And yeah. it can, you know, elm trees, the leaves kind of look like beech trees, or they might look mm-hmm. like uh, hackberry. Or, you know, there's a lot of leaves yeah, that are similar. compound, smaller leaf. And then there's a lot of barks that are kind of similar too, right? Yes. But he basically said that you you need to be able to look at a tree and just, like, eventually if you look at enough of them, you just be able to look at it from a distance or from up close, and you can just kind of tell that's an elm tree. And yeah. it's weird how you recognize them. You recognize them almost like a person, you know? Mm. Like, I don't have to look at... I'll just say Jameson here. Mm-hmm. Like when Jameson walks in the door, he's a producer. If he walks in the door, I can just look at him and I can tell that's Jameson. Mm-hmm. I don't have to like look at his eye color. Mm-hmm. You right, know, I don't right. have to. There's small things. Yeah, that it's, all it's like overall appearance. Like I just know like that's Like doves him. in flight. Once you learn what a dove looks like in flight, yeah, you pick exactly. it up in right. two seconds. Yeah. yeah, and it's not like you're looking at a specific characteristic. No, you can just, like, oh, there's a dove. You mm-hmm. can just tell. And so if you look at enough trees, that's kind of how it just gets to be. Like Cody here, I'm sure, could walk out here and he could just look at a tree across that pond and he could tell us what it is from a distance. Uh, yeah. Yeah, give yourself the credit. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you could. <laughs> but I just think that it's it would be incredibly useful for a lot of people to learn their trees, and that's something that's really way too overlooked. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Do you have an app that you like to use for that? I do not know, but I know there's some really good ones out there. iNaturalist is a good one. iNaturalist mm-hmm. for sure. And there's a couple of good apps. I did a piece on, you know, how to quickly identify trees with mm-hmm. Rachel. I did with Rachel Young. It was mm-hmm. in the magazine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think UK has a tree app for Kentucky. There's um, ones you take pictures of bark, and yep. it will try to get you close. And what we're talking about here, you just need to be close. There's no mm-hmm. need for, uh, you know, a taxonomous view Mm-hmm. of these tree species, you know what I mean? Again, we're just trying to build them into groups. Even knowing the difference between a maple tree, mm-hmm. a sycamore, and an oak tree mm-hmm. is huge because, again, these oak trees are indicative of more healthy ecosystems, more things that have stuff that we want in them, like mushrooms or, or other wildlife. And structurally, too, I mean, if we're even stuff that doesn't eat acorns, right? They're, they're in there because that is indicative of a more a, an ecosystem that they um, adapted with through time is really the eastern hardwood forest. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. So it's almost like, well, it's not a comfort thing. I'm sure there's some reliance there, some benefit for them. But even um, if we took the, the nuts aside and the food source wasn't there, that those those areas would that have the oak hickory 
yeah. that would be the preferred habitat because that's kind of what's ingrained. Exactly. In yeah, the ingrained. Yeah, the maple, the amount of maple we have in our Kentucky forests is arguably the highest maybe it's ever been. And and the bourbon boom has played a role in that as well by removing, you know, white oak is so valuable right now and so marketable. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, not only for bourbon, I mean for anything, you know, these trees are really good in the woods really really uh you know they're rot resistant mm-hmm. for the most part um they grow really good mass they also make really good timber right mm-hmm. so they make good stuff like veneer for cabinets um and, and yeah, other hardwood there's products. some furniture you know, just all oak the whole stores yeah yeah the furniture made from oak exactly you know? exactly there's a reason for that these are quality trees chase what is chicken of the woods Oh, it's hard. What do you want me to say about it? It basically grows on dead oaks. Usually you'll find it on fallen, like if an oak tree has actually died and has fallen to the ground, that's when I tend to find chicken of the woods. But it's a bright yellow or a bright orange mushroom that kind of grows in big fans. Yeah, it looks like like a clam, like clam sticking out of the tree kind of. Yeah, but orange. Yeah. Because you want to, oyster mushrooms are another one that looks a lot like clams and it's actually the same color. But chicken of the woods, there's two different species. I, I'm not going to get them right. One of them starts with an L. One of them starts with a C. It's like Cincinnatus or something like that. And the other one I can't remember. But there's two varieties, safe to eat, um, good to eat. I saw where Tim Farmer found some on his property the other day, and he posted a nice video talking about it too. Um, but, you know, it's just a, a mushroom that grows pretty abundantly this time of year on dead oak trees, usually on logs on the grounds. And it's easy to see because it's like blaze orange almost in the woods. No kidding. Walking through the woods, you can pick out chicken of the woods from a from a distance. Mm-hmm. It's up off the ground too, like a bunch of good mushrooms, chanterelles and morels that grow directly out of the ground. They're going right, to be hard to yeah, see oh because of vegetation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But chicken of the woods, man, it's pretty easy to find. And so. it's in the late summer, early fall. When does it turn off? Yeah, our late yeah. summer, early fall. I'd say... I, I, you know, it probably varies depending on the year. Oh yeah, good but point. But I, I don't want to come across as like a, an expert on it or anything like that. Yeah. As far as I watch uh, YouTube videos and I go out and look for it, and I'm trying to learn right now. So. You've consumed it. Yeah, it's good. It's, I yeah. mean, it's surprisingly good. I think that's the first mushroom that I ever foraged and took back home and cooked up and ate, and I was blown away by how good it was. Really? Yeah, it cuts yeah. into almost like chi- like you can prepare it several ways, but basically you take those big fans that come out of the tree. Cut them into like almost chicken strip size okay, pieces, yeah. and then just saute them up, and they almost have like a real meaty texture. It's it's much meatier than you would think it would be, but they're they're good. Mm. I just use a little bit of butter, a little bit of diced garlic, a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, and awesome. that's about it. Takes cool. about six to ten minutes to. So prepare. it's not a bucket of chicken you come across in the woods, correct? That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't seen a whole lot of actual chickens in the woods, but <laughs> no, some of the uh, you know I don't want to take a too deep a dive into mushrooms because it's a little bit of a weird topic mm. um just and you need to know what you're doing that's correct? what i'm saying i yeah. there's things that i'm not a huge fan of promoting because they can be pretty dangerous you know and we have uh destroying angel mushrooms we have death cat mushrooms you know we have a bunch of mushrooms that you do you do not want to accidentally consume um so you know sending people out to look for mushrooms on their own with no like in-depth education is kind of a bad idea but there are a lot of resources out there and there's some good ids there's a page uh called uh, mushrooms of kentucky on facebook that you can join and if you post a picture of a mushroom people will tell you what it is and if it's edible and stuff yeah it's ran by a guy named peter who was actually on the show about 10 years ago and took farmer out and showed him mushrooms awesome. so there's a segment on youtube about that too but you know it's a fascinating thing it's a lot of fun I kind of relate looking to mushrooms, looking for mushrooms and forging mushrooms. It, it's just like shed hunting. 
Hmm. You know, okay, yeah. or it's just like artifact hunting. Like if you're looking for arrowheads, like whatever. If you like to go out in the woods and or in fields and just spend your time looking for something like a shed or like an arrowhead, chances are you'll like going into the woods and looking for mushrooms too because it's a lot of the same thing. You're kind of just, you know, scanning and your mind's kind morels of... Morels are a spring. Yeah, morels going to be uh, late March, early... Or probably early April through mid-May. Mm-hmm. Look around elm trees and tulip poplars. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm really no expert. But that's why I kind of avoid promoting the forage for mushrooms thing is because there is like a little bit of danger there and you need to do your research. I don't mind getting people interested in it and them going out and doing their own research and figuring it out. But I'm not a a person who can, who could teach somebody well enough through an audio medium, (laughs) how to, how to do this, you know, you ever hear them call dry land fish? That's That's a morels. Yeah. Dry land fish. That's a, I think Appalachian saying for morels is dry land fish. I like that. I do love morels, but trees, trees are, extremely important to mushrooms. I mean, that's really what drives all of the fungus. So if you yeah. like that, you and trees are extremely important to wildlife. And the way I look at it, and Cody, I would rather have your opinion on this than my own, but trees are kind of like the most fundamental building block mm-hmm. of like a living landscape because I think trees are driven by soil types and by water and by terrain, you know, like hillsides or I think trees are driven by the non-living landscape, but I think that they're kind of the building block from that, like the jump from the soil types and from the water to all the other living landscape that we have. Like it's the most fundamental building block. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, I agree with that and maybe extend it even to the, you know, not only trees, but the above ground herbaceous matter that, that exists below them, right? So even things like the plants and stuff like that that, that exist um, in that in that non-living space. Um, and yeah, the, the amount of stuff that we see above ground, you know, is pales in comparison to what's happening below ground. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about mushrooms. We're talking about like stuff that comes from the soil. And, and yeah, those trees are very much indicative of the health of that mm. entire system. You see, know? I might just not have like my mind might not work in a, a 3d enough way for me to like, I don't think about what happens underground as much as I do above ground. You know what I mean? Like, cause I, it just isn't as intuitive to me, but I can easily see that when I've got a bunch of high can, you know, tall high canopy trees that are just keeping this area nice and shaded. When one of them goes down, it completely changes what the forest floor looks like mm-hmm. in that area because sure, yeah. all of a sudden it's not going to be, you know, low grasses and you know it's going to get bushy, it's going to get viney, yeah. it's going to grow a lot of small trees, and For it sure, just yeah. it seems like everything else revolves around what the trees are are doing or what the trees look like in the area because they control how much light gets through and they control kind of i'm assuming the water that's available no doubt, yeah soil moisture and you know on like way uh broader levels or like maybe more specific but even you know the trees the leaves of the trees falling to the ground we talked a little bit about maple um you know, oak leaves, when they drop to the ground, um, they kind of curl up and allow a little bit more of the soil to be exposed. They also allow a more conducive environment for um, burning, so low-intensity fire, um, which they adapted through quite a bit through time. Whereas maples, when they fall, when maple leaves fall to the ground, they stick flat to the ground and they hold more of that moisture in there, which can be good and bad for um, things that you're looking to grow. I mean, things like more oaks have a harder time growing in that more shaded um music or, or wet area and they're not as uh, easy to practice prescribed fire on so um, talking about prescribed fire i would love to know what say somebody had a 
piece of property, most landowners in Kentucky, or not most, but most farms in Kentucky are 50 to 100 acres, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what I've been told. So Most landowners, yeah. Most farms are a little bit bigger than that, but you're right, most landowners. Most yeah. landowners. So let's just say somebody has a 50 or 100 acres. What could they do related to trees to help improve their habitat or their their property for wildlife? Oh, that's that's a great question. And we're talking about what they can do for the trees. We're again thinking about, you know, what can we do to make the system more healthy? What kind of trees can we encourage or discourage to, to make that entire system more healthy from the soil all the way up to the, the high canopy trees and these mass producing trees? So in Kentucky, in most parts of the state, aside from like the real big bottomland areas, you know, kind of far western Kentucky along the Ohio River, we will be looking to promote these these upland hardwood trees. So when we say upland hardwood, we essentially mean things that the leaves fall every fall, right? So we're not talking about pine trees or spruce or stuff like that, um, which, again, produce these high-quality mast resources, these high-quality nut resources. And so two main things, you know, that we promote and that we know worked based on, you know, what was going on way before Europeans got to the state of Kentucky, and that's prescribed fire. Mm -hmm. And so prescribed fire is low-intensity fire set on purpose in a controlled manner um, that will help promote native systems. Because, again, the landscape of Kentucky and the entire United States was burned quite a bit um, before, mm -hmm. before Europeans got here. And so... The Barrens region, everybody's always speculated that was... Oh, big time, yeah. Yeah, but even the woods. I, I mean, mean, the just forest... Just think how many elk were there in, like, 1680 or something. Just exactly, yeah, yeah, and before then, too. And just so... important to say real quick that if you're going to... If you're interested in prescribed fires, don't do it like the Beaumont guy did. Did you see that video? No, no, dude, light it up and walk away. Well, I'm not trying to knock the guy, but he put the video out on social media himself, but he right. decided he was going to run a prescribed burn mm -hmm. um, from his... Probably a 2020, 2021 uh, brand new truck. Oh, and no. so he was oh. hanging the drip torch out the window while he was driving the fields. And uh, I guess it. Don't do that. Yeah, you could do that. There's a video online somewhere of him just, his whole truck just going oh, up in flames. No. Oh, yeah, no. there's a yeah. safe way we to do that. You guys that. go to training classes to learn how to do it. Yeah, but, there's safe ways to do it. And there's a couple of, of regulations and actually laws that we have to follow. Yeah. Um, but they aren't, you know, they aren't. It seems intimidating at first, but there, this is totally a doable practice. So if you have forests on your property and you're looking to manage them for these more healthy native systems, you know, prescribed fires number one, and that would hopefully be practice um, in your forest once every five to seven years. Mm -hmm. You know, you try to give that a good burn, um, and then also timber stand improvement yeah. or TSI for short, yeah. and that's essentially going in picking these these maple trees, these other trees, the, the, the mid-story trees. Some the mid-story trees will help, exactly, won't it? yeah. So we're trying to take out trees that are number one competing with our native trees, and number two, that when they they're competing with them, and they're also changing the landscape um, within the forest. So again, back to the maple example, when they drop the leaves, they're more flat on the ground. They're trapping more moisture in the soil, which again is changing the entire system um, from the soil all the way up. And so going in there, just removing the stuff we don't want and trying to promote the stuff we do want, that essentially is what timber stand improvement is. And that can be done with a chainsaw, um, a bottle of herbicide, um, or a hatchet, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just uh, old school girdling trees and, yeah. and letting them die. Hmm. Is, there, is there somewhere that people could go to find out more about like what you just talked about? 
Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for asking. So go to our website and just mm-hmm. type in private lands, and okay. you'll get to. Uh, so again, as I mentioned before, in our in the wildlife division, we were broken up into programs. We have an entire private lands program with almost twenty private lands biologists located across the state that are ready to come to your okay. property and give you any advice, whatever your goals are. If you want more butterflies, if you want more deer, if you just want a healthier system, a more healthy native system, you know, you can give these people a call. And they'll show up for free. And, and, and help you with your objectives on your uh, property. See, that's a great, great resource. The, the department has a lot of resources that mm-hmm. people don't know enough about. Oh, and that's because sure. most people, <clears throat> general public, people who listen to this podcast might be different because oh, they're sure. a little bit more in tune. Mm-hmm. But general public, you know, they, they look for the season dates, you know, mm-hmm. and they go to buy their license, and then they telecheck their game. And right. that's pretty much their interaction. Mm-hmm. No doubt. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's kind of hard to communicate some of these great programs we have with people who only care about that much interaction, but maybe by word of mouth, you know, if if somebody comes out to um, Joe and Sue's property and, and advises them and they talk to other people, you know, that word of mouth is kind of a great way to do it. But that, that private lands program that you're talking about, I think is a great resource. It's underutilized. Yeah, definitely. Especially, I mean, and like you were talking about before, just being, cognizant of what you're seeing in the woods whether you're hunting for mushrooms i mean a lot of people know this stuff already you know but oftentimes you know we live in an area for a very long period of time it's hard to notice small changes through time um but you know stuff and we we know this from surveys and uh the kentucky department of forestry our division of forestry does surveys and so we know there's there's systems within the state that are showing some signs of sickness so Mm -hmm. again some of our forests are becoming less healthy and native than they did before and a lot of our open lands are in the same boat i just wrote that piece on forest health um last issue i will probably get that put on the private lands page oh yes yeah i worked with zach and our forester on it just talking Mm -hmm. about these issues but what's going on yeah invasion of red maple is a is an issue it's a big issue yeah something else that i think is probably not super understood um that i honestly don't know a ton about i hope maybe you can speak to this cody is that, you know, people talk about the Department of Fish and Wildlife managing resources, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we can do that uh, through, um, you know, setting bag limits, setting season dates, and, and things like that to manage the take of resources. But one thing that, that isn't super easy for the department to manage is the habitat. Yes. And that's because 90, 96% of the state is privately owned. Yes. Exactly. So 4% of the state is the amount that we have the right to go on and cut down trees at will or do burns at will. That's right. 4% of the state is the amount of habitat that the department has the ability to just go manage the habitat on. Yeah. And most of that's in eastern Kentucky. Exactly. So, exactly. so it's really on private landowners as far as if we want to manage the resources and, and help the wildlife, it, we really need private landowners working with us because that's 96% of the state. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. that outreach and getting people involved in those programs is like key in promoting, you know, healthy wildlife populations. Everybody, you know, talks about turkeys, for instance, you know. Mm-hmm. that That's a topic of conversation. Well, 96% of the state, we're talking about habitat loss maybe being a factor in some of the turkey stuff. Mm-hmm. 96% of the state, that habitat is privately owned. Especially so, nesting habitat. Yeah, get, getting people on board with the habitat work is, is really, really key. So I think that this mm-hmm. private lands program, we're, I would like to do more to promote it, um, you know, back here yeah. at Kentucky Field for the department. So I'm glad we touched on it today. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think we're they're doing an interview right now with the private lands coordinator yeah. while we're talking in here on the podcast. Jacob Stewart. Yeah, we're so that's a that's a good point. Right now, Jacob Stewart, the private lands coordinator, um, he was back here. We were chatting with him right before we went on to to do the podcast. He's actually out shooting a video with Chad right now. That'll be on the show. Just a little short, two or three minute informational video that kind of tells people where they can go for more information mm-hmm. and what's offered. But I, th- I think it's a great program. I'm glad that we're doing a little bit more to promote it, and I hope that people take advantage of it. Not take advantage of it, but use it. Use it. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? Cause and talk to your neighbors about it. You know what I mean? Anything mm-hmm. that you're doing on your property, you know, nothing, nothing. We know now, nothing exists in the in the in the property lines of of anybody's property. And so yep. yeah. Yeah, utilize this. Talk to your neighbors and and get them on board as well. And you know, we totally have we have the tools to to fix a lot of these problems that we're facing. Um, we just need, like you said, the communication and the implementation of some of these practices. And you know, we can totally fix it for sure. So this is I'm going to jump. I'm going to make a huge leap here. Let's do um, it. It's not really that big, but you were talking about on your property and your neighbor's property. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, my mind went to. I have I live in a little ne- neighborhood, small property, right? Mm-hmm. And I have squirrels running around all the time, but they live in a pin oak tree on my neighbor's property. Yeah, exactly. so that I've got exactly. two pin oaks. Yeah, there. for some reason I'm that was squirrel heaven. Yeah, no doubt. That was the jump that I made in my mind was my neighbor's property holds the game, but they come to my exactly because no. you know. But so squirrel season starts this Saturday, August twentieth, right? Yes. Two days from now, you can go fall hunting. Finally here, it's, Boom. A, it's exciting. Yeah, it's the first. It's the opening. You know, the official opening hunting essentially the the biggest one of the biggest um hunting seasons we have today's the opener i mean there's some stuff in season right now yeah coyote um, groundhog right frog. right but yeah this is the big kickoff yeah because right here in the next what in the next two weeks we got on the 20th we have a uh, fall squirrel opening then on september 1st we have dove opening oh, yes and then on september 3rd which is exactly two weeks from this saturday we have deer archery turkey archery crossbow oh yeah or turkey archery not crossbow yet mm-hmm. but archery season so literally within two weeks and two days from now you're going to go from being able to hunt only groundhogs bullfrogs and coyotes to being able to deer hunt to being able to squirrel hunt oh, to being able yeah. it's going to be great yeah. i can't wait for it yeah but there's a squirrel that comes into my backyard and you know they you know how squirrels chase each other around and they kind of yes. go up and around the trees and stuff mm-hmm. I want to know what that is, and, but I also have a squirrel who just has the biggest, puffiest, most beautiful tail. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it just looks like, I look at it, and I was looking at him compared to another squirrel, him or her, mm-hmm. and I was like, I wonder if that squirrel's like the dominant squirrel. The he's got, squirrel, he's like a yeah. peacock, you know, yeah, he's got yeah. this beautiful tail that he just yeah. sticks up in the air, and I'm like, there's something peacockish about that squirrel. Right, right, he's showing so, it off. Well, tell me about those squirrels. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really great question. It definitely um, can play into, you know, first of all, let me say, you know, you mentioned all those hunting seasons coming up. You know, if we kind of been sitting on the couch this summer, just mowing the yard and stuff, maybe we haven't been out as much as we wanted to. We might be feeling a little rusty before we, maybe you're just a deer hunter. You've never hunted squirrels before or doves in your life. I would say give squirrel hunting a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really great way to hone your woodsman skills. Mm-hmm. You know, you still got to be quiet. You still got to sneak around. You're still looking at trees, you know, and trying to figure out where game's going to end up. And so go out and, and do some squirrel hunting before you get into that tree stand because it might help you sharpen or hone your edge for, I wanna, for sneaking around the woods. I want to come back to this. In fact, you know what? We can, we can stay right here and we can come back to why does that squirrel have a bushy yes, tail because yeah. that's less important. <laughs> but the way I look at it, there are three ways to squirrel hunt. Right, and I, yes. you correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think there's three. I think you can squirrel hunt with the dog. Yeah, 
Check. I think you can squirrel hunt like you were just talking about, slowly moving through the woods, just you, stop. maybe you and your buddy, just keep an eye on the trees. Or I think you can sit your butt against a big oak tree and wait for them. Exactly. So those are the three ways that I look at it, right? Would you yeah. agree with that? I agree with that, and I think two of those three ways are essentially exactly how you hunt big game, mm-hmm. yeah. other species of wildlife that are out there chasing. And you can wait till it gets cold and leaves fall, and you can hunt them with a twenty two rifle by sitting mm-hmm. yeah. by yourself. No but doubt. it's like the risk-reward of squirrel hunting versus going out on a deer and elk hunt. Like, it's so much, it's so much less to worry about in the long run because if you go out yeah. and you get a, a limit of squirrels you got six squirrels well guess what you can put them in your backpack and carry them back to the car and take them home put them on the kitchen table and process them. Mm-hmm. when you go out and, and you deer hunt you've got a lot more to think about because if you go out and get one then you've got hours of work ahead of you exactly mm-hmm. so it's like the the risk reward is kind of and i don't get super heartbroken if i go out squirrel hunting and don't have a great day if i go deer hunting you know yeah. it matter but, you know, it, it is a, the best way to hone your woodsmanship, I'd probably say. And I've, totally heard, I've heard it said that it's the best way to introduce a kid to the outdoors. Oh, and, oh, oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more squirrels in the woods. Or you'll, you'll see a lot more squirrels than you would um, deer or, or turkey or waterfowl, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, it's a lot nicer. There's more stuff in the woods right now, so everything's still growing most for the most part. It's like you're talking about mushrooms. You know, like make that a part of your squirrel hunting experience as well. Go do some research online. Call your buddy that knows what a chicken in the wood looks like um, and go out there and, and incorporate that into, into your squirrel hunting as well. There's a lot more stuff you can do in these really early seasons. And, yeah, exactly, you know, you don't have to have too much anxiety about making too much noise or, or stuff mm-hmm. like that. They're a little bit more resilient to those errors that we often make and, and, and bungle um, other hunts. Yeah, and, and it might just be me, but for some reason, like, if I if I go out and I mess up a deer hunt, like, I've got a <clears throat> the buck I'm after, I bump him yes. from his bed on the way in, like, I'm going to be sick about that for a week. Mm-hmm. If I go out and I screw up a squirrel hunt. You're over it by the time you get up. Yeah, yeah there's you've probably seen you've probably seen many more squirrels. Well, there's another squirrel too. right yeah, up, exactly. you know. But it seems to me like um, it's also perfect. Everybody wants to introduce a kid to the outdoors through deer hunting, right? Yeah. And if you really think about it, squirrel hunting, you could go out. Let's just say um, here in a week, and go out in the morning. It's going to be sixty, sixty-five it's degrees. Be oh, it's been it's so be yeah, you're going to be walking. Wonderful constant constant movement constantly things to look at versus going and sitting in a box blind when it's 26 out and on november 21st you know exactly it's just a little bit more enjoyable in my opinion for the kids and the kids going to learn more when yes. they're moving through the woods mm-hmm. and, and talking about stuff yeah. and yeah, yeah and the I attention don't. span thing too you know they're oh, going to yeah. have something it's like dove hunting you know yeah. that's another great one because they're gonna have something to do exactly. not just kids yeah, i don't know exactly, why we yeah. direct that why i direct that towards kids it's not just a great way to introduce kids to the outdoors it's really anybody yeah. oh yeah no i had a I'll tell a quick story i had a good friend in um in school that uh, had never hunted before in his life but he's a huge birder he loved birding so much um and he was interested in getting in hunting so squirrel hunting i was like come on man we're gonna go do this um come out with us and he, he came out and he was a phenomenal squirrel hunter i mean he was really good at birding so he's always looking in the trees and stuff like that you know since then he's he's gone turkey hunting deer hunting he's really gotten into good it deal. but that first flush was squirrel hunting because again it's not hard to look up in the trees you know you know what you're looking for you can make mistakes um and it is that gateway hunting mm-hmm. um to, to get you into other stuff hunting i mean my first uh, hunting experience ever was with a bb gun when i was six years old hunting squirrels right yeah. you know and i was definitely not being very quiet and stuff yeah. but we still saw squirrels didn't harvest any with the old bb gun in my mind the bb gun was going to kill a squirrel but um at that point in time 
It might. It'd be a good shot, you know. Right, that's how I, I took Kristen. Um, I mentioned her earlier, my girlfriend. I, I've taken her deer hunting, and it seems like, you know, about 15, 20 minutes in, I see her scrolling Instagram, mm, you know. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> when, when, Me too, man. I'm right there. <laughs> when I take her, I've taken her squirrel hunting before, too, and that seems like she's much more into. Like, she yeah. enjoys that, just the walking through the woods. and yeah. Yeah, you know, more action. Yeah, it, it, more it's more fun. I think yeah. that, and that that's just... I'm looking forward to it. You know, you used yeah. to be able to sell squirrel tails to the MEPS lure company. Did you no know that? No kidding, yeah. The MEPS, the famous MEPS Aglia inline spinner, that yeah. dressing in the back, that squirrel tail. Yeah, I can no see that. No kidding. I think I, I, now that you mentioned that, I could see red or gray squirrel mm-hmm. being used for that because yeah. I feel like different MEPS have, but it is a natural squirrel hair. Yeah. You yeah, could tie your own jigs with them if you wanted to. Your own yeah. jigs, your own flies. And I, that's a really good point. I'm glad you mentioned that. And even if you're a hardened whitetail hunter and you're totally into that and that's all you do or, or just all you do is hunt turkey, but you've been thinking about it would be cool to to take different parts of this animal, whether it's a deer or a turkey, and you know, take the hide and go tan it and stuff, go squirrel hunt. A squirrel hide is way smaller. You can you can tan that thing way easier. You can use the hair for lures a lot easier. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's much smaller to, to process. So, you know, use squirrels, again, as as your way to experiment with this stuff before maybe you go to other you know, uh, ventures. A bucktail jig, game. though, is a great winter smallmouth lure. For you know, sure, yeah. It, We've yeah. done that. They're stiff, but the the, the uh, oh movement is really really subtle because we we've used those on the show. Did you yeah. see the episode where we built one? We we went out and we took a doe and we took the the tail, mm-hmm. and went down to a lure manufacturer in Southern yep. Kentucky and made Cumberland we, Pro one. Yeah, Cumberland Pro, and we went out there yeah. and we we that caught was a long time ago one. Eh, two or three years, we caught a couple of nice smallies on them. No C- kidding. So Cody, what do you oh, think? So as far as squirrel hunting goes, one of the things that I think would keep people from getting into squirrel hunting if they've never tried it before is not really knowing what they're going to do with a squirrel. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, I don't know if the general public looks at them as like a tasty treat or not, you know? Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Tell me tell me about the cons- – because we talk about how great it is to go out and, and hunt squirrel. We talk about um, trees and their importance to it and, and all this, but the end product, if you go do all this stuff, you're going to end up with squirrels. Yes. So what yeah. do you do at that point besides make jigs out of them for fishing? Yeah, which you could totally do, and that's a, <laughs> that's an awesome thing. But, you know, and this is another thing I hate to sound like a broken record, but, you know, harvesting a squirrel, you know, bringing it back, and then processing that animal, you're doing very similar stuff as you would if it was a larger mammal, right? Yeah. If, it was a lar- if it was a deer or something like that. Um and so, yeah, you would, and we have a lot of this information on our website, and there's field-to-fork um, mm-hmm. opportunities with our R3 program where you can be taught these things. Uh, we have a lot of content on there of actually how to do this, but essentially what you're going to do is the same process that you would for any any mammal that you have um, harvested. So you're going to take the skin off, um, which, again, with squirrels is not that hard. I mean, it's not as easy as something like a rabbit. Rabbit's so um, easy. Rabbit's so easy, yeah. But uh, with a squirrel, it's on there a little bit better, which, again, is a really good experience for mm-hmm. your knife work and, and how you're actually going to attack, like a, a whitetail, for example. Um, so you're going to skin the animal um, and then, you know, take the guts out. And at that point in time, you know, there's, there's kind of two regions of the animal that are most um, muscle dense. That's the front quarter and mm-hmm. the back quarter of the legs. Um, and so, you know, I like to just take the entire carcass after I've gutted it um, and cut the feet off, cut the tail off, and its skin. Cut just the head take off that. Too. Yeah, cut the head off too. So yes, essentially, you. you have neck to to butt yeah. of just meat and oh, of just very very lean meat yeah. too. So again, if you're out there mm-hmm. conscious about your cholesterol intake or something like that this is one of the leanest meats 
you'll ever find. I mean, and it's good too. So generally what I do is take the entire carcass um, and put that in a pressure cooker mm-hmm. and let the meat fall off. So you put it in the pressure cooker, um, cook it for, I mean, it's it's less than 10 minutes in a pressure cooker. Um, the meat falls off the bone, so you get in there, you just pull the skeleton out at that point, essentially. And then I take the meat, shred it up a little bit, put it in a cast iron pan, and cook it up with whatever. You know, sometimes a little teriyaki sauce, mm-hmm. sometimes just some, some barbecue, eat it on a sandwich. Some people crock pot that, too. Crock pot, with, yeah, with, for sure. Uh, John Morgan loved crock pot and oh, yeah. barbecue sauce. It's so to, easy to do. Yeah. I'm going to have and to then, get a pressure. Then you may basically mm-hmm. make you know, barbecue uh, squirrel sliders. Yeah, exactly. It's so easy to do with the uh, just barbecuing pickle, it little, is the easiest yeah. to do. Yeah. Now, would you pressure cook it before you put it in the crock pot? No, I don't think you could. have to, but you don't I don't to, think yeah. it would hurt the anything. The crock pot will cook no, it. I was just curious because of the fall off the bone type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so, granddaddy pan fried it. Just pan fried it. I mean, yeah. They just. I'm going to have to look more. I think I need a and pressure cooker. And make gravy. Mm. They get the little crackling stuff and make squirrel gravy. You oh, yeah. That? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there, oh, there's a million ways. And there are um, some country people that like squirrel brains. Have you ever heard of that? I have heard of that. Um, we don't recommend eating, uh, at this point, the, the brains of any animal. <laughs> um, but you might have heard, I will, I'm glad you brought that up. So there was... This is Kentucky-specific research. So you might have heard of people getting uh, Crutchfield-Jacobson mm-hmm. from eating squirrel brains. That was actually um, Kentucky doctors, Kentucky research doctors published that a really long time ago. And if you dig into that research and how they actually looked and, and got that information, I would be, look it up for yourself for sure, but I would be skeptical that that's actually where it came from. But definitely we know we know now that eating the brains of, of any animal even birds, mammals, whatever, it is probably not the best idea. But as far as the Crutchfield-Jacobson thing, in my mind, I, I don't think that that was well-founded. That was a funny conversation. I, I sat yeah. back there and watched that conversation like I was watching a press conference. <laughs> mm-hmm. Officially, we do not recommend eating the brains. <laughs> yes, yes. But, you know, that's but good. it was common growing. I mean, my granddad Squirrel brains and yeah. eggs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to move to, you know, I'm making a move towards, I'm going to start trying the liver. And start oh, yes. starting to keep a few other things that I had yeah. done in the past. The brains is way down that list. Yeah, no, but the organ meats, again, yeah. if we're talking, I mean, it seems like uh, people are a lot more conscious about uh, what they eat as far as, like, the, the keto diet, like taking out carbs and having <laughs> nutrient-dense foods and stuff. The organ meat of any animal is mm. very nutrient-packed. And, again, a lot of what iron. do you, yeah, a lot of iron, a lot of other nutrients and stuff, rare nutrients, so you don't usually get that often. I'm just not a liver dude. Hey, I like, try I like it. liver. You know, yeah, I mean, it's a small little tiny liver. It's easy to identify in the carcass of a squirrel and grab it. And Have you ever heard people use squirrel entrails uh, for catfish? No, I have not. That I'm sure awesome. the catfish eat it. You could probably put a whole squirrel on a hook and catch a catfish. <laughs> a big catfish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, people growing up in Bardstown who would, you know, they cleaned the squirrels and would keep the for awesome. Yeah, bait. again, utilizing the entire animal. Again, when we're squirrel hunting, we have a little small well, it's animal. It's fragrant. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. This no year doubt. when I deer hunt, I'm going to try liver. I haven't kept liver before. I've, I've keep a heart. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you're kind of making a one more jump there because the heart is just a muscle. It's yes. literally like everything else. It just happens to be an internal right. organ, you know. But the liver is, is not a muscle. It it's truly like filter. Yeah, it's yeah. a different type of it's a different type of meat or it's not really meat. It's a different, it's a different thing all in itself. So I'm making yeah. kind of the jump it from just fibers. eating the muscles to, I'm going to go to, uh, to the liver this year and try that. But there was a, a Steve Ranella on meat eater hunted elk in mm. Kentucky once. Did you see 
You ever watch no that way. episode? No, I didn't know that. Well, so he hunted elk, and uh, he wanted to try, you know, because he always cooks and eats something mm. in the show, and he wanted to try one that was supposedly like a Daniel Boone favorite, and it was elk liver um, okay. from Kentucky. So he came to Kentucky, harvested an elk, and he tried the liver. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Apparently, it was not very good. <laughs> he said it was not very good. I've, <laughs> I've never seen Steve Rennell. Usually, every time he cooks I'll take his word for it. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'll pass. Let me see. Backstraps, yes. Liver, maybe not. Well, he, <laughs> he's, he, uh, you know, every time he cooks something, he's like, oh, man, you know, he's just like yeah, all the cooking yeah, shows. This is the best it. thing I've ever had. It's yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. But that, Triple D, he <laughs> never goes into a diner. Man, that, you just missed the mark on that. Yeah, exactly, this is terrible. Exactly. You've never yeah. seen that. But on that episode of Meat Eater, he was like, mm, mm. like you could kind of see in his face. He's like, that's bitter. Oh, <laughs> he's no like, kidding, really? He's like, I don't think I'm going to try that. But he was good. Grainy. I'm glad I tried it. But but I think that elk liver is going to be a little bit stronger than, than venison liver, especially. I like the idea of squirrel because I like chicken livers. That's the kind of, oh, yeah, I love yeah, chicken livers, sure, fried chicken sure. livers. Mm-hmm. like you can yeah. fry up a little whole squirrel oh, liver. Oh, gosh, you totally could. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. That Dip them in awesome. cream gravy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you do it now? Dip them in cream gravy. You cream. make a fried livers, then you make a, a cream gravy out of it, and then you dip the liver in the gravy. I'm gonna have to mm-hmm. look this up. I gotta. Yeah. I gotta start. And same with uh, lamb fries. Oh, yeah. You know, there's there, there used to be a lot of restaurants in Kentucky that would serve lamb fries. Now they're they're pretty rare. Oh, you, what's a lamb fry? Um, well, it's you know. Um, <laughs> mountain oysters. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so they're they're you know fried testicles, mm-hmm. and you, you cut them up and bread them, and then you dip them in cream gravy as well. Awesome. They serve them down here at Sailors, right down there. There's a restaurant right down the road that awesome. served them for years. Uh, well, that's I'm, I haven't tried that before either, Lee. Yeah. No, that was that was very popular fifty nice. years ago. Lamb fries were. Mm-hmm. Well, I never heard of it. in about because I, I I ran out of venison two weeks ago. Um, oh, perfect. Or maybe maybe more like a month ago, but I had kind of done it right, you know, and mm. I've I've got the freezer almost empty and almost ready to go. And I can't. And I'm on the verge. Like I can't wait to go hunting. I just want to go hunting again. And yes, I'm yes. I'm really looking forward to deer season. But I'm gonna be out squirrel hunting. If not this Saturday, then someday next week. And it'll probably just be an after work type deal. Bring the 22 to work with me. And exactly. I just want to be in the woods so bad that. I'll bring the 22 to work and just on my way home in the afternoon, probably just go to the woods just because I can. Yeah. You know what I mean? Give it a shot. And that's, that's, I mean, that's what's coming up. We're right on the doorstep of fall hunting. Oh, yes. Mm. Can't wait. What do you got, Lee? I want to look through my notes here for Um, a second. One thing I've noticed kind of along the same lines, I've noticed it seems like the the trees are, are yellowing up early, or is it just in my head? No, no. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So, as we mentioned before, our mass survey or the survey where we go out and look at the tree nuts for hickories, mm-hmm. um, white oak group, red oak group, and, and beech nuts, um, a lot of people are seeing hickories dropping early. And so, mm-hmm. I was hoping we'd get around to that. And so, it's I'm not sure exactly why that's happening, but I would be willing to venture a guess that it's, if everyone remembers, you know, the last two weeks have been pretty wet in Kentucky, right? Especially mm-hmm. in some parts oh, of the yeah. state, unfortunately. And so, you oh, know, yeah. the, before that though, if you remember, there was like a kind month a and drought. a half or two months where we didn't have much rain at all, no. uh, statewide, right? The Elkhorn got down to 55 CFS. That's one of the lowest. No. <laughs> Drug it. <laughs> well, it's actually, yeah, a, a wade with a boat. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want to yeah, get off topic. Yeah. Well, let me circle back to that because there's a way. Elkhorn's beautiful where you have different sections. You can pick a section that's good for 55. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you just got to pick and choose. Point. But that's I don't want to get I like top. waiting when it's that low. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so you're totally right, Lee. You know, we are seeing more yellowing on the mass routes and we're seeing some early 
uh, mass drop, especially the hickories. And so we do this survey August 15th to September 1st because the mast is like three quarters of the way grown and it's not dropped off the tree yet. And so, you know, we do that because we want to see we have individual trees and we're trying to track their mass production through time. So we need to make sure this this acorn is coming from this tree. So we need to make sure we're looking at it. And when it's big enough, you can actually see it from the ground with binoculars, and also it's still on the tree. And so we try to do this before the nuts have come off the tree. But what's happening with the hickory specifically is they're starting to drop their mast a little early. And also, you know, the foliage is yelling. Mm-hmm. Stuff seems like it's a ahead. couple weeks ahead. Yeah, exactly. At least a couple Spring weeks was, ahead. Spring seemed like it was two to three weeks behind, and now fall seems exactly. like it's two to three weeks ahead. That's true. It's very true. Exactly. But um, we're talking about, you know, you're scouting for, you know, where to go hunt this fall. You know, keep keep some of these things in mind. Uh, definitely look at the trees. Look on the ground. Uh, those hickories will be hit early by squirrels for sure because, you know, they're on the ground. They'll be going up and down the tree. That's a great time to interact with those animals if you're pursuing them to try to harvest. And and the deer, the whitetails, will be will be hitting those mass resources on the ground early for sure. And so make sure you keep an eye so, on that. So, well, they – one time I got a rather – not positive email from a member of staff mm-hmm. about deer foods and um some people say hickories you know th- they'll eat hickories if they have to correct whitetails will yeah i think they would i mean it's it's got more of a uh, it's obviously got a more dense husk on it but the 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 nut itself is very nutritious and very i mean it's one of our largest nuts in our eastern uh forest for sure so mm-hmm. the, some of the People working there at the time said, yeah, they'll eat it. I mean, it's not their favorite, but they'll eat them. But mm-hmm. one staff member vehemently disagreed that they really? would eat hickories. Yeah. Yeah, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I I wasn't aware of that myself. Maybe that's um, what they thought or what they were seeing. In, in my personal experience, yeah, they, they will, especially if that's the first thing that's coming down. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. maybe it's not their most preferential thing, but it's down early. You know what I mean? You know, I, I love, love filet, but if I'm starving and someone gives me a cheap cheeseburger, I'll probably eat it. You exactly, know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of food stuffs out there right now for him to eat. I'll eat Spam um, if I'm hungry enough. Exactly, know? yeah. Spam's not, not a bad meal. <laughs> so if we wanted, a lot of this conversation today has been about trees, but trees are so important mm-hmm. to wildlife. Everything. Yeah, to everything. Let's, a lot of people listen probably know their trees. Some people probably would like to learn their trees. So if you had to give, well, first... When I first started trying to learn my trees, mm-hmm. I was out in the woods with my buddy named Bob, Bobby, and I told him I want to learn my trees. And and so I started asking him, what's this one? And then I'd ask, what's this one? Yeah. And he was yeah. like, whoa. He's like, just focus on learning one a day. One he day. said, if you okay, just yeah, learn like one a day, that's the way to go. Don't try to learn a whole bunch of them. He said, just pick one and then try to learn that one. So if you had to say the three most beneficial trees for outdoorsmen to be able to identify in the state. And we could just list those three most beneficial trees or whatever, however many there are. And then somebody could go out and they could work on learning, okay, one of those trees. And then after they feel confident, okay, I I got a white oak down. Mm -hmm. I'm going to the Mm -hmm. next one. What would you say the three most beneficial trees or four, however many? Yeah, I think um, I might answer that question not exactly in the parameters but i think that this you know this is kind of the way we're talking but you know better than me so yeah so let's go with four and let's talk about those groups again okay and so the easiest group to get is going to be the beech group which consists of one tree species the american beech and so this one is one of the easier ones to get in the woods so this is the one first of all if you see a tree that somebody's carved their initials into Mm -hmm. 
That's probably a beech tree. Yeah. Okay, so it's very smooth bark. You're not seeing the texture. Um, it doesn't look like the back of an alligator. You know, it's very smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, the leaves are smaller, so a little bit smaller, and they kind of look like the the seeds before the seeds come on the the flowering body kind of looks like a rolled up cigar the very yep. end of the the very end of the twig looks kind of like a rolled up cigar and again these are lighter in color almost you know from afar they can almost look white they're not white. The white trees we see with kind of smooth bark, that's mm-hmm. a sycamore. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. The American beech, so very smooth bark. Um, sycamore has a lot more coloration. To, to yes. The, yeah, the leaves yeah. are extremely different. Extremely yeah. different. Sycamore yeah. are my favorite tree. Mm-hmm. I think they're Yeah, so majestic. American beech, I love them. Smaller, smaller leaves, very smooth bark, um, and oftentimes growing in kind of a wetter area. I was going to say, um, and is there any particular part of the state where they're you know, more likely to find beech? Not necessarily in the state, um, but just in a site, if it's kind of the more downhill area, the more um, areas that might pool a little bit more water. There's a, there's some parts of the state, too, that grow r- very well in the upland um, mm-hmm. as well, so, so kind of up on the top of the slope. But generally speaking, you'll find them more in kind of the moister sites. One of the easiest times to find beech trees, if you ask me, is after all the other trees have lost their leaves. Because yes. it seems to me like beech trees just hold them. And they'll yes, just be like exactly. these <coughs> brownish orange leaves. Great and point. You'll, you'll see a tree from a distance in the woods, and it's got all these brown leaves that haven't dropped. Mm-hmm. That's a beech tree. Yes, that's a great point, too. Yeah, yeah, they do hold on to the leaves a little I just bit longer. Pinnocks hold theirs longer, too. Don't yes, and they'll hold their dead leaves. Uh-huh. Yeah. But they're they're much different looking, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beech tree kind of reminds me of an elm tree leaf, and that's useless for anybody who doesn't know them. But mm-hmm. they're, yes, exactly. They're yeah. small, like, I mean, just... They're not broad leaves. They're like just yeah, kind of serrated on the edge. Yeah, yeah. sharp yeah. yeah, but so that's one tree. What's another one? Okay, so the next tree group that um, we'll kind of try to go in an ease of identification. Let's go with the hickory group. So these are hickory trees. They make um, nice big hickory nuts. Um, and so when we're looking at these, we're thinking this. There's multiple species within this group. One of the easiest species to recognize, and, and one that's pretty common, is the shagbark hickory. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. the shagbark hickory is in the hickory group, and and the other hickories will have these characteristics to some extent. The the bark on these trees looks like it's about ready to fall off. I mm-hmm. mean, to the unsuspecting eye, you might think, oh my gosh, this tree is going to die. I mean, because the bark is just peeling off of it. Yeah. Um, the bark is browner in color, um, a little bit darker. Uh, the leaves. Uh, everybody knows what a walnut looks like. I mean, or you might be familiar with what a walnut tree looks like. Um, the leaves look like walnut leaves. So the leaves actually grow off of a main stalk, and they're they're a little bit smaller. Um, it's called a compound leaf. And so the there's smaller leaflets growing off of one leaf, mm-hmm. right? And so they can be a little bit smaller or a little bit bigger, but again, they're going to be kind of oval in shape, and that bark is really going to be looking like it's sloughing off the tree. That's had, the hickory We had them right in front of my house growing up, shagbark. Oh, yeah, shagbark. Um, Rick has a gigantic king nut on his place. Oh, yeah, the king nut. That, and if they you've never cool. eaten, man, if you find one of those, gather the nuts and, and try them. They're so good. They're one of the best... Um, nuts I've ever had as far as, I mean, they're smoky and buttery. It's really, it's a really good nut. And they're like, they're huge. They look like a softball kind exactly. of thing, like a baseball. Yeah. Right there. yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, in the hickory group, there's a couple of species that make smaller, um, probably like the size of an acorn or maybe twice the size of an acorn, all the way up to hickories in that group that make, you know, the soft baseball, baseball, baseball size, size for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and so that's the hickory group. Okay. So beach and hickory. Beach and hickory, and then let's go to the the red oak group. So there's 
a lot of species in the red oak group. And so Kentucky is fortunate to be very diverse when it comes to our oak trees. Mm-hmm. And again, our oak trees are very important um, in our in our forests. They're a great resource for wildlife. Um, and again, they, they're just part of our this healthy ecosystem. And so the red oak group will have... And I'm, I'm blanking on how to describe an oak leaf. So I like to describe the red oaks as in the ones that kind of look sharp or pointy. Sharper and a, pointy, white oak around exactly. it, right? Yeah. Yes, that's very Longer, that's rounder, very sharper. Yeah. Yeah. And the actual leaf, it's a single leaf, and it's very, um, it has deep lobes inside the like five or seven? Like it can be, it, it varies greatly. But yes, bet- between five and seven of these lobes, it'll come in and out, in and out. And the leaf, the leaf is generally about the size of your hand, maybe, or, mm-hmm. or three quarters of your hand. Um, and so, yes, red oaks are pointy. Always remember, red oaks are pointy. And if we're looking to the bark, the bark, you know, this kind of looks like what we, if you, if I just told you to picture in your mind what tree bark looks like. In my mind, that's a lot what the, what the oak trees oak look like. Oak trees kind of the epitome of a tree to me. Yeah, you yeah, know, exactly. It's like, that's, that's it. That's yeah. a tree. That's a tree, yeah. That's, <laughs> a, yeah, that's, that's a tree for sure. Well, yeah, if you've no, ever I like split it. oak, you know, if you've ever tried to split oak for firewood, my granddad says yeah. it's like splitting bubblegum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's so stringy. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. And so the, the bark is going to be browner to dark brown. The key between the red oaks and the white oaks are, again, the pointy leaves. The tips come to a point at, on the outside of those lobes. And the bark... People have described this as ski tracks. So there's ski tracks in the bark. So if you can mm. picture in your mind, picture somebody on skis, if they were coming down the tree from the top to the bottom, kind of that the bark in between the ridges, the valleys on the tree, the ridge of the bark has been flattened down. It looks like it's been flattened down. Mm. And so ski tracks is a way to tell mm. the red oak group from the white oak group. And the red oak, as far as benefit to wildlife, that's the one that's going to be beneficial a little bit later. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. the one, I'm sure the fourth group that you're going to mention is probably the one, the oak that's beneficial earlier, and that would be white oak. Then. White oak group, yeah. So white oak group, again, the leaf is about the size of your hand. It's got uh, multiple lobes within the leaf, but instead of coming to a point at the very end, <laughs> they're, um, rounded. they're rounded. Yes, they're rounded. And the bark for white oaks, um, oftentimes, you know, one of, one of the, this happens with other trees too, but one of the things, it's it's not flattened down. So the ridges are not flattened down with those ski tracks. It looks it looks more like that like that classic back of an alligator. Um, mm-hmm. Also, white oak will often have um, what kind of looks like scars from moss growing on the tree. So if you've ever seen like. Um, the bark is kind of light gray, and then you see like a big white patch. You'll see white patches mm-hmm. all along. And some of these white patches, you know, half of it might still have some moss on it or something like that. Um, but that's just that's just new bark, new uh, cambium growing out from the tree. There's there's totally nothing wrong with them. Um, but you know, I always think in my mind when I'm thinking about that, you kind of see those blotches within the bark, and that's from where uh, moss was growing. So. Beech, hickory, red oak, and white oak would be the four you'd suggest people learning. Yeah. I'm looking because obviously, I mean, it's it's useful to tell people some of those characteristics, especially the the leaves. I think, mm-hmm. but you know, it's hard to take all that knowledge unless they took notes and take it to the field with you. Um, so I'm looking right now. I'm on the app store, um, and I just typed in tree identification, mm-hmm. and so there's a Botan. There's a bunch of apps that you can download to. Uh, that you can literally take a picture of the bark, take a yes, picture of the leaf, yeah. and it'll tell you. So if you want to learn these trees, I'd suggest going out in the woods 
looking at trees and if you find one that okay that looks kind of like the bark that he described people like to carve their initials into or that one looks like yes. the bark's falling off or mm-hmm. here's one that is about the size of my hand and it has you know five to seven lobes coming out of it you know maybe you download one of those apps and then you have a little bit of a guide on your phone you can just take a picture yeah. and confirm it and that's the best way if you ask me to start learning trees this is just go out in the woods and look at trees yeah and again you know not <clears throat> not to beat a dead horse but don't feel like you got to get down to the species yeah. um that's really cool and it can be really interesting and kind of like almost ad- addictive to like get in and try to figure out these species of trees maybe like that is just the biologist part of me but the you know just narrowing it down to those groups mm-hmm. is is definitely um all you need for its benefit broadly speaking to the, to the wildlife you're chasing if you if you learned those forest tree species you'd be a better deer hunter you'd be a better squirrel hunter you'd oh, be a better sure. turkey hunter yeah and know, foraging for mushrooms all trying above. to assess you know is my back 40 you know how do I have more of these four tree groups or do I have more, you know, maple, t- other stuff that mm-hmm. maybe we don't want? One of the things I did for practice is if you go on a walk in your neighborhood, I started trying to identify the trees I saw on my walk. Oh, I do that. Yeah. And yeah just, sure. and all, but then, then you also learn, oh, some of these are ornamentals that you buy. You know, like yeah. I've got silkwood. I've got Japanese privet in right, my neighborhood right. that were popular. And my, my neighborhood was uh, originally developed in the early 60s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those were very popular ornamental trees now you know silkwoods <laughs> there's only a couple left but right, then i right. you know learned about different red oaks and yeah you know, um pin oaks and things that, right. that, that really help just that's a great yeah look in your backyard yeah, you know just learn mean? the trees around your house and then branch out from there that's how i do in my neighborhood too i walk down the street and i can tell when the neighborhood was developed whenever it was they planted different tree species on different you know streets or different sidewalks and so i've kind of like in my neighborhood i've got a, there's a pin oak street you know, oh, and on nice. <laughs> um, the street I live on, they did um, pear trees, like Bradford oh, pears yeah, or something yeah. on one side, and then they did ash tree on oh, the other no. side. So there's no trees. Oh, there's, 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 no trees. There's like <laughs> one out of every five or six yards will have a tree or two on the ash tree side. And our house um, is the only tree, only house that has two living ash trees in the front no yard. No kidding. And, uh, I mean, I'm telling you, it's a matter of time, though. Because yes, it's yeah. about every time I go mow, I'm picking up a couple branches. Right. But right. so it's kind of fun. And then, you know, people have the Japanese maples and, mm-hmm. and nobody has box elder in our neighborhood. A lot really? of, a lot of red, a lot of silver, a lot of sugar maple, mm-hmm. um, all what's, the oaks. What's the, the other, you know, box elder some people consider, it's, you know, it's a curly leaf maple or. I'm not the, sure. The, they'll, they'll call it a different, a different thing. Name, they don't yeah. like box elder. Right, red, right. So Interesting. It's a maple. I mean, it's yeah, maple. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's like curly leaf. They call it curly leaf maple. That's another the reason I don't like maples is because they, you know, the oak trees, the leaves are all pretty similar. Um, yes. But on maples, you got these sycamores, which are technically a type of maple too, I believe, right? Are I'm sycamores? not sure. They, they might be in the same broad categorization. Well, the leaf kind of looks like a maple leaf. Like if you, a sycamore leaf kind of reminds me of a really big um uh, like a sugar maple. Yes, yeah, it kind of looks like the Canadian flag a little bit. You know, yeah. it's huge. Yes, mm-hmm. yep. I thought but, but, I'd but, heard yeah. somewhere. I thought I'd heard those were in the same kind of family or group. Maybe it's like you know, if you go far enough up the little tree, the little pyramid that yes. shows you how everything's yeah. connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're in the same like category or mm-hmm. something somewhere. But for sure, yeah, I really like giving the info on the the four different tree species. It can be really useful to to ID, and hopefully, you know, some people will take that and go learn those trees and i really do think that once you get into it and you start doing this it's it's really interesting Mm -hmm. and it's really beneficial too because now when i go 
almost anywhere I can go out and, and look at trees and you almost develop a better understanding of everything that's going on around you. Exactly. Like you said, I mean, it, it has a lot to do with what's going on. Um, it drives what's happening in that, in that system. And one of the things I've learned too is developers often planted trees like there's sycamores on the golf course they don't belong there they're, they're, they're right. a river you know they're oh yeah a riparian yeah. zone tree mm. and you know there's a river birch that won't grow at all they put the same mm. size yeah, i've exactly. been playing up there for 25 years and it's right size. yeah no it's cool because <laughs> they don't really belong there yeah and out here we have cypress which right. shouldn't be here you know? right right so uh, things have evolved along those lines about exactly it. yeah and, so, and of course the worst offender in the world are silver maples a lot of people call those water maples right because right. uh, they're they're the they, when they get big, they get really weak, mm-hmm. and a windstorm will, will push them down. Yeah, like yeah. They're just big giant. My neighbor had a gigantic branch fall, cost fifteen thousand dollars. Oh It landed. Gosh, she's yeah. got a split level. It landed right where the split level meets. Oh my gosh! She, she took oaks. that tree out. It was monstrous. When I was trying to learn my maples, I remember I did uh, sugar maples or smooth because I'm thinking about the edge of the leaf being smooth, mm-hmm. and I did red maples or rugged. Um, because they have yeah. a little jagged edges. And then silver maple was the one I was left with, and I had to, I always had to remember that they, they kind of look like pin oak leaves, but they're much more spiky. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's just like you have to t- kind of take a dive. I wanted, I'm glad we talked about the trees today. I didn't want to pass up the fact that fall hunting's right around the corner because it's so, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's almost here. Like, take yes. a deep breath. I wish that they put football season in the summer like starting the spring i know i know because you know it's like everything that i love is coming up I and know. it's 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 exciting football and fall i mean i'm sorry That's, oh i know the, the, yeah, that yeah, cow yeah. or that horse left the barn no I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's a lot of times man where i'm sitting in the deer stand or something and i've got you know the espn app open and i'm <laughs> scanning for deer and then i'm looking at three touchdowns i could concentrate on hunting now good deal yeah exactly yeah, well i'll look exactly. at the last play i don't watch the game i just keep it on like the game cast where they like show oh, you like what the, the last play score. is and oh, they have like yeah, the little yeah. graphic where it shows the ball going mm. somewhere so i just kind of keep up with that yeah. but i had a question for you cody um and then i'll we wrap it up here pretty soon are acorns edible for people 100 percent, yes because yeah. i've heard that you know native americans used them to make almost like a like a, a mized or, or like a flower like yeah, they, flour. they make cake and stuff out of them didn't yes, it? it's like a for flower sure. form mm-hmm. S- somebody at some point told me that they were poisonous to people so i just wanted to make sure that was a myth absolutely a myth yes yeah well they probably ate red oak and they tasted terrible exactly okay we're talking about this tannin stuff we're talking about red oaks for white oaks and animal preference go out you know look look at the app or you know think about what's a white oak versus a red oak and go get some acorns after they've fallen on the ground and try them and see if you can tell the difference because if you can the wildlife can for sure. And and try to think about it. You know, the tannins are going to be more bitter. Um, it's going to be harder to chew up and stuff like that. And then have a white oak and see if you like one or the other better. Okay. I'm glad to, to hear that because I, I will try that, you know. Yeah. And one of my favorite things to, like, literally if I just stumble upon a persimmon tree and that has ripe persimmons, I'm going to be all over that. Oh, yeah. Like and that's another good example of the tannins is the... Did you ever hear Buckeyes yeah, good were good call. luck to carry, like hunting and fishing? Yes. Yeah. I've done that. I, I kept a Buckeye in my backpack last year when I hunted. I've got, a, I've got one luck? I've had for years. It's in a uh, hunting jacket I have that belonged to my dad that it's no longer fits me. At the end of, it's, it's <laughs> really, I still have a Buckeye there from when I was in high yeah. school. At the end of hunting season, it's really weird what I'll have in my backpack because there will be like yeah. a Buckeye, and then there will be a, a, a random leaf that I caught one day out of the air, and that's supposed to be good yeah, luck, so yeah, I'll put yeah, it, okay. and I'll have like a bird feather. Like, oh, uh, yeah, definitely have a bird like I'll end up having all these <laughs> little, little rock. Yeah. yeah, no, I really will have like this random assortment of things that I just found or 
caught out of the air and I considered lucky and I just shoved them in the bottom of my backpack and oh, I yeah. stayed there. Oh, yeah. We know luck we can get when we're <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah. it is weird yeah. how, how that works because I swear to you, I'm walking around with rocks and feathers and leaves and <laughs> yeah, yeah you know pins in your hat i mean you know right, right. Oh, yeah. certain fishing hat this year i'm wearing that hat hunting up the there old bucket hat yeah uh nice. one what do they call it, it starts at the b the real word a bonnie hat a booty bon- hat booty hat. Booty hat. Booty hat. okay yeah, yeah, yeah. with the bill that goes all the way around i'm gonna shove that all I've those little things full of stuff oh, yeah, really nice yeah. i got a great deal on it they were closing it out I thought that hat up there I just found in the closet back there, and I, there's old videos of Farmer wearing it back in like the oh, '90s and early 2000s. Those are some lucky it's days. Gotta have some too. good karma on it. It right. should, yeah. yeah one of my friends in Lower Elkhorn, down by the garden hole, went through in a tree branch, grabbed his favorite hat that I've known him for. He's had this since the early '90s, late '80s, mm-hmm. and uh, we looked and looked and sunk, and it knocked uh, off his. Uh, and I, I went back like a week later and looked and looked and no, he, he it still was no longer a lucky hat, hat man. No, but lucky hat. Yeah. Well, at least if it's going to go out, yeah. either let them yeah, blow yeah. out of your boat yeah. when you're driving home. Yeah, oh, lose it while you're right. while you're in action. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. that's a that's a respectable way to know. go out. It was a good yeah. death for the hat. Yeah. yeah, I'd agree with that. So, and <laughs> recap real quick, real quick, unless you have something else uh, you no, want to hit on. I was wanting to ask about the early yellow leaves. So that's my last thing I. Well, so in, in recap real quick, the private lands program, something we talked about that mm-hmm. I think is very worthwhile for landowners to reach out. And we talked about the importance of that, too, with, you know, 96% of the state being privately owned and how important that 96% is to wildlife as a whole across the state sure. and the resources that are available to landowners for free. Mm-hmm. For you know? free, yeah. So I think that was something really important that we talked about. I also think that the trees are just fascinating, and hopefully some people are encouraged to go out and learn a little bit more about trees, and that'll help them in the woods, you know, exactly. whether they're pursuing squirrels or turkeys or deer or bear, everything um, kind of revolves around these trees at a certain time of the year. Exactly. So that's really important. And then I'd say the third thing that we hit on that I'd like to reiterate is that fall hunting is right around the corner, literally two days away. Two days. Uh, less than two. I mean, if you think mm-hmm. about it as far as hours go, we're about 40 hours. Oh, no, how right. many hours would it be? It's probably about 44 hours. Yeah, I think from so. when you can be out in the woods, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, pursuing pursuing game. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's all right on the doorstep, and uh, I'm more than ready for it. So, unless you got anything else, Lee, I'm well, ready. Well, um, and don't eat brains. Don't, yeah, that was <laughs> maybe, but it's not recommended. It yeah. is. Yes, it's, it's yeah. not a hard no. It's not a hard <laughs> it's no. Sure. It's not real hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't eat tree bark either. Probably. Not <laughs> right, well. yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Exactly. Well, I appreciate you stopping by, and uh, Cody, I'll catch up with you up front. I'm sure we'll talk some more. And uh, yeah, Lee, for sure. thank you. No problem. Awesome. All right, Good guys. Luck.